Good morning, man. How are y'all doing? All right. First, I mean, I think it's important that you guys understand where I am and my spiritual background, um, how I became where I am now. So like Andy said, 12-year uh, NFL vet, mm-hmm. been a captain since high school, um, loved it. Everybody thinks in order to be a great leader, you got to be this big rah-rah guy, this guy that's always in, in people's faces. But no, you have to be a servant. You have to understand what everybody is dealing with in your locker room, and you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. So with me, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church in LaGrange, Georgia. Uh, my mom was Sunday school teacher, usher, uh, everything. You name it, she was in the church. So what that means, we were there Monday, Sunday through Monday. Every day we were in the church. Uh, and i never forget my first time uh, dedicating my life to Christ was when I was eight years old. I was sleeping in the back of the church next to my brother, and uh, I woke up, and I was like, bro, is it time? Is it time yet? And he was like, no, it's not time yet. So I fell back to sleep. So I ended up waking up. He taps me, and there's, there's a backstory to this. Uh, he taps me. We wake up. We walk down the aisle, and we give, ourselves, give our lives over to Christ. But fast forward to what Andy was saying about my family, my wife. I had got to a point in my life where football kind of took me through a bunch of dark phases. New coaches, you know, a lot of distractions, a lot of things that make you, you know, forget your true purpose in life. And luckily I had some good teammates that showed me the things, the the right way to go. But I got to a point in my life when I I had my son Grayson, I remember talking to my wife like, you know, things just don't really feel right right with me inside. So I got to the point, we went to an NFL Christian conference, it's called the Increase Conference, and you guys wouldn't believe that 6'6", 330 pound giants all pray just like we do, and it's amazing. So I'm in this atmosphere, and uh, Francis Chan is speaking, and I'm like, oh my God, he's talking directly to me. Like, God, I don't wanna be that man that is on the outside looking in and can't get into heaven. So from that day forward, I was like, you know what? I need to turn my, my life over to Christ because I can't be a leader in my household if my son isn't really following a man of God. And so what I'm saying is when I was eight years old, it wasn't my choice to give my life over to Christ. It was my mom. It was my Sunday school teacher saying, you're living in this house. You're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a believer in God. So when you become a man, I felt that it was my duty to be that man of my household and give my life over to Christ. And that's what I did in order to be a leader in my household. So eight, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So if you guys don't mind, I'm gonna open up with a little prayer just to, so God can continue to be in this place. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for bringing me here today, Lord God. And I ask that you remove me from this place, Father, and fill me with your spirit and fill this room with your spirit so that one person, God, can hear the word and just it be changes their life because, God, it only takes one of us to go out there in this world and, and make a positive change. So, Father, just thank you so much, God. Allow my words to flow from my mouth and they be of your words, Lord God, and just allow us to continue to come together as brothers and men and change this world. Amen. Oh, man. So, um... I have the benefit of, of teaching and talking about being a temperate man, and it's coming from The Measures of a Man by Gene Getz, uh, and my topic is living a balanced life, and there are going to be three things that he talk about throughout the chapter, but I'm going to try to inter, intermingle this with the day in the life that I was dealing with on a, for 12 years. That's my game day. That's first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. 
Some of us get a little OT, and some of us the game is over with. So his first one was uh, becoming a man of faith in order to be a temperate man. So to, to a temperate man is someone that is alert, someone that has self-control, someone that is sober-minded. And to me, I used to think sober-minded is just not doing drugs or doing anything. But to me, I, I think that is being not putting your mental in a situation that's going to, you know, cause you to, to lose respect for God or, or do things that you shouldn't do. Self, self-restraint is another thing, too, uh, another uh, trait of being a temperate man. So number two is become a man of hope. Number three is become men that love. Uh, and so our coaches used to always tell us that game day is fun. Game day is that's just what you do. So most people only see us when we come out of the tunnel and, and don't see the things that happen before the game. Uh, there's practice, there's films, there's fighting inside of practice. And, you know, that's where it goes to iron sharpens iron. And to me, that brings me to his first point, being a man, a man of faith. And um, I, I, I want to read this scripture for you guys that I took a, uh, took a picture of. And it says, for grace, you have been saved through faith. And that, not your of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, crafted in Christ Jesus for good works. That last part, for we are his workmanship, crafted in Jesus Christ. Like, everything you do as a football player, for me, it was to uplift Jesus Christ. It was to use my platform to make the world a better place. Uh, I remember seeing a video with MJ saying that, you know, why do I go so hard? It's because somebody in that stand is looking at me that may have never seen me, may not get to see me play again, and I want to be a great example. I want to inspire them. And it was the same for me. So before you get to a game day, you have to practice. You have to continue to do reps. You have to bang each other, just keep fighting, keep going against each other until you get to the game day which were, again, Coach said, game day are supposed to be fun, that's easy. And they always use this phrase, practice like it's a game. So when you get to a game, and in this situation, a game is sin. Game is going to be sin. Game is going to be confusion. So you have to be ready. So on game day, it's all about your routine. Some people play at 1 o'clock. Some people play at night games. When I was in Denver, I was used to playing at night games, so my routine was different. I could sleep in later. I could do this. I could do that. But when I got to Tennessee, I had to wake up. I had to get used to 7 a.m. wake-up calls on game day. That's drastic. So my, my, my routine would be consist of waking up in the morning, immediately getting on my knees, praying, uh, finding something to eat. Uh, I used to be bigger than this, about 20 pounds bigger than this, a little bit more muscle. And I was a vegan at the time, my last three years in Tennessee. So finding something to eat was very tricky. I could only eat like oatmeal and maybe some fruit, nothing else. It was, it was tough for me, especially on the road. So traveling, getting on the buses. One of my favorite things was, you know, going to the games, listening to Charles Stanley on my headset, and then Charles Stanley messages over with. And then believe it or not, I would listen to jazz music. And while I'm listening to jazz music, it allowed me to calm down. I would sit here and I would just observe everything that was going on around me. I could see the police officers escorting us into the stadiums. And when you get to the stadium, you see, here it is. Now it's time. So wake up, 
prayer, eating, traveling, music, warm-up, stretching, cold tub, hot tub. That's important for a professional to be successful on the field. And to me, what that means in a real life for us as, as Christian, as men, it's your daily reading. This is our routine, our daily reading, our prayer, our obedience, our application, what we're learning, how we're applying that into in today when we get outside of our house. Going to church and this right here, fellowship. Like we cannot do this alone. We were not meant to walk alone. We were not meant to be in this life alone. So fellowship. So with that being said, practice your routine. Now here comes the first quarter. And there's this saying in the NFL, the first 15. Does anybody know what the first 15 means? Okay, let me, sit, let me take a sip of water and I'll explain it. So the first 15, you always see these coaches, Bill Belichick, all these coaches with their, their plays hanging down their leg. So the first 15 are the plays that coaches want to run. Like, okay, no matter what. I want to run this play, the first 15 plays. I want to run a trick play. I want to run a deep pass. I want to get Derrick Henry the ball three times in this situation. So your first 15 are plays that are just scripted plays. And no matter what, they're going to come at you. They're going to hit you hard. So it reminded me of, of Job. So let's, let's look at Job 1, Job 1, 7. And, 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 it's, a, and it's a good story because no, I, I would say this. I grew up... Um, I really, I really didn't have a, a good male father figure. My dad, I love my dad to death, but my dad wasn't in the household. We've made those, those, those we, we have a better relationship today. I love my pops to death. But no one ever told me that sin is waiting for you. Sin is going to try to devour you. Sin, the devil is always working, and he's here among you on this earth. So Job 1, 7, it says, and this is God talking to Satan. He said, from where do you come? And, and I love God and I love Jesus because you just know whenever they talk, whenever they speak, it's like, ah, uh, like, ah, uh, just, just what are you doing? So he says, from where do you come? And then Satan answers back, from roaming about the earth and walking around it. And like, I'm like, oh, my God, like these are these are little tricks. These are little things that I need to understand because God later says that everything that Job has is in your hand. And I'm like, well, why would God say that? Well, everything earthly is what? It's not going to go with us to, the, to heaven. It's, it's going to stay here on, on the earth. So that is Satan. The earth is full of Satan, just full of, full of terror. So God, God says, tempt, tempt Job. He's a man of God. He won't ever doubt me. He won't ever forsake me. And it's just like, man, like I never knew that Satan is walking around here just like one of us, just trying to Pull tricks, pull schemes. So you got that first 15 of sins. It's going to be coming at you no matter what. You know it's coming. So don't be a front runner. That's uh, getting out 21 points on the first quarter and forgetting about the rest of the three quarters of the game. And now you're just letting just life, just living life like, like most of us. We just get careless. We don't really care about things. So don't be a front runner. Be up on sin, but continue to keep that foot on the gas. So now... It takes me to the second quarter. So first quarter, you got your first 15. Your second quarter, I like to call it, uh, there's this new TikTok video. It's called Into the Thick of It. And a little dance everybody likes to do. And to me, um, this is when you're settled down in the game. The second quarter, you've got all the trick shots. You've seen all the schemes that the devil is going to give you. You know 
what's coming. And to me, it, it, it makes me go back to my locker room days. I would always mentor and teach the guys, like, listen, in my life, I'm sure it's going to be the same as yours. God gives you the same, well, not God, but Satan tempts you with the same temptations over and over again. And it's up to you to figure out how am I going to elevate myself to where now that's not a stumbling block. That's not a snare. That's not going to trip me up anymore. And at the same time, I can help my brother from going down that same path because I was there before. So, and I'm, I'm a man of, of believing and reading scripture because that's what it's all about. You have to read scripture in your messages to, to just bring the point home and at the same time keep you grounded. And so Galatians 6, this is going to his second point, Become a man, becoming a man of hope. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Another one, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, run but not tire, walk but not weary. When I'm in the second quarter, you get your, to me, you get your second win. Like I've already seen everything that's coming to me. Now it's time for me to buckle in. Now it's time for me to remember my routine, everything that I've practiced. And now it's time to lock in. Don't worry about anything else. You got this. You got to lock in. You got to stay focused. Second quarter is tough. You get ready to go into halftime. All of the bad things that happened to you. And I love halftime. Halftime was like one of my favorite things. You walk in the locker room and there's always different kind of guys. There's a guy that walks in the locker room with his chest out. Yeah, I just scored two touchdowns. Or yeah, I just caught a pick. Yeah, I just did all of that. And then there's those guys that walk in and they're looking around like, well, coach, okay, coach didn't see me. Let me sit down. <laughs> all right. Me, good, bad, and different, I always went and sat down in the front row in the middle. Well, first I went to, went to, went to relieve myself. I always did that. You always got to do that because coaches, coaches will talk your head off and then you won't get any time for yourself. So that's important, giving time for yourself. So anyway, I was one of those guys at halftime that would go sit in the front, get my coaching, and understand where either I went right or where I went wrong. And most of the times, it's where you went wrong because we're very hard on ourselves as athletes. If you mess up on one play, you, you're going to hear about it. You, more importantly for me, like I want to know when I messed up. I hated coaches that would sugarfoot around and not tell you the truth. Like, correct me. Like, we're pros. We can take it. So coming out into the third quarter, this is all about passion, all about love. Everything that you did throughout the week, first quarter, second quarter, you're here now. And to me, it just, it makes me think about everything that I've learned being a Christian because now my third quarter, now they're about to get my best punch. So again, I'm going to go back to scripture. First uh, Peter 4, 12, 13. And, and, and again, this is when, these, these are more stories that I wish I would have learned at a younger age because I feel like at a younger age, I would have been more open to understanding that I'm supposed to have trials and, and, and tribulations. So Peter 4, 12, 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you, for you are your testing, as though some strange things were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Wow, I'm supposed to have, I'm supposed to have those uphill battles. 
I'm supposed to be sifted out. I'm supposed to be growing into a man. Another one, James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Hmm, okay. Okay, God, now, now you're speaking to me. Now, when I'm over here doing great for this week, when I'm not responding to things I won't respond, now when I get to that month long, now I got a little bit of endurance. Now I can keep going. Now I feel better. Now I'm, those tests, they're, they're not as strong as they were. Now I got to study God to it. Another one, Psalms 34 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteousness. Many are the afflictions of the righteousness. We're supposed to go through it. And somebody told me, anytime somebody puts butt behind something, throw the whole statement away. So let me read that again. <laughs> Many are the afflictions of the righteousness, but, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Isn't that amazing? Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Yes, yes. Another one, and I got a story after this one. Uh, it was, uh, we'll get to it. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, able, but with temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it? Mm. I never forget this. Let me take a sip of water because this is like one of my, my testing times as a man and I was, a, I was engaged at the time. So me and my wife had got, well, my, my fiance at the time had got into an argument. And what do you do? You want to revert back to your old self. So I'm like, fine, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of the house. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And just so happens, here's temptation. Somebody, a girl texts me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to see you. I'm going to see her. Me and my lady, we're forget it. I'm gone. Get on the highway in Denver. Get in, get in on, the, on, on the highway. I, I merge over. There's this truck flying down the highway, almost hits me. I'm like, dang. I'm like looking in the back, WWJD. Ooh. Ooh, okay, okay. Huh? What do we do? We still keep driving, still keeps driving. So now I'm about two minutes down the road, just trying to be stupid in my head, still driving. Huge sign. And in Denver, it's like the wild, wild west. It's a lot of outdoorsy people out there. It's a good Christian bait, but it, it's tough. I see this huge sign that says, Jesus loves you. Yep, turn around and go home, bud. Go home, go home. So, so, so it's, it's and, and I always challenge my guys, like, listen, if you ask God to be with you in every situation, he'll be there. So when you get to those times when you're about to make a bad decision, God is going to give you an out. It's just up to you to realize it and find it and know, like, oh, okay, there is an out to it. Another one. Therefore, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 26, 27. Therefore, I run in such a way as if, as not with aim, but I discipline my body to make it my slave. Make your body your slave. Like, that's powerful. Like, you're going to do whatever I tell you to do, not what you tell me to do. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You feel me? So it's, it's all about disciplining yourself so therefore you can walk in that power, in that strength that God made you and God wanted you to be. So we're still in the third quarter. It's strong. It's tough. 
All of this to me is my game plan of life, knowing that these trials, these, these things are going to hit you as men. Like we should welcome them. We should be happy that they're coming because God is making us stronger. Last one in the third quarter, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So I thank you, God, for those trials because although I'm decaying on the outside, my inside is growing stronger. Not for me, for you, for my brothers, for my, my son, so my son can see what an example is. So now we're in the third quarter. Game plan is good. We're great. We're doing good. Now we're on the upside of things. So now let's take it to the fourth quarter. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with holding the – how many are football players in here, ex-football players? So you guys are from the old school football players. Does anybody know what it means, this means, when, when you see this in the fourth quarter? This here is, to me, a symbol of it's a four-quarter war. We're battling for four quarters. I'm going to hold my four, my four fingers up to symbolize that I've been here from the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter. Now you're about to get my best shot. If I'm losing, if I'm winning, it's four quarters. It's four quarters of war. It's a banner. And you always know those old school football players. Most of the young guys, they put it up, put it back down because they get distracted. Me, the old school guys, you hold that four fingers up until that first play starts. That lets people know like you're locked in, you're going. So... It brings me back to another great story in the Bible with Exodus, Exodus 17. Moses, uh, Moses, uh, Moses ended up building an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. But to give you a little, a little story on that, Mo, Joshua is fighting the uh, Amaleks, right? Fighting the Amaleks out there battling, battling. And this is where it says you need your brothers to go through life. Moses holds the staff up, the staff of God. When that staff is held up, we're winning. I need my brother to hold me up. Hold my staff up. Hold me up. Joshua was doing God's work, doing it, doing, laying bodies down left and right. Moses gets weary. Your brother gets weary. What does Joshua do? Starts losing the battle. Ah, it gets interesting. Moses is tired. So he has his two buds, Aaron and her there, pushes a rock up on him. Moses, get a little break. We got you. Hold that staff up so Joshua can do his thing out there on the battlefield. Okay, yeah, still get a little tired. But I'm going to hold this staff up so Joshua can prevail. And eventually, that brings me back to the point where Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner. Yahweh Nisi. Can we say that together? Yahweh Nisi. That means the Lord is my banner. So remember that. So when you're out here, when you're holding up those, four quarter, those fingers for a four-quarter war, remember who's your banner. Remember who's holding up that staff of God. That's all of us. Because one day, I might not be strong, but I know I can depend on Andy to send me a text and say, hey, bud, how you doing? Hey, bud, I'm praying for you. Hey, hey, how's the family? And a lot of times, that's all we need as men to keep us on track. It takes another brother to lift that, to push that rock. So are you guys going to push that rock under your brother and allow him to have a little rest so he can be stronger and so that somebody else can finish the battle? It's not about us. It's always about somebody else. So now we're finished with that four quarters. Most of us are done. Game's over with. We won. We lost. We got to accept that, what we did. Some of us get a little OT. Now that's a little, that's a little tricky, a little, a little bit of time. I personally hated overtime. I hated it. I was too tired. I hated it. But 
Let's go back to uh, another, another verse that I wrote down. Uh, First uh, Thessalonians 1, 3. They have fixed their hope. And this brings me back to his last point, to uh, Gene's last point, being a man of hope. They have fixed their hope uh, on the living God, 1 Timothy 4.10, rather than on the uncertainty of riches and the things of this world. This was in the book. And to me, like, everybody thinks that football players are just, you know, flashy, want to do this, want to do that. Nah. Nah. I can say that the, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest feelings after that fourth quarter or that overtime is over with is when we rush the 50-yard line. And most fans don't see this because they don't stay for the end of the game. But when we're down here together on our knees praying, my teammate here is on my right, my enemy, as in my opposing the, the team that we just played, we're praying at the 50-yard line. We're covering everybody. And to me, that's what it's all about, praying, being together, like lifting your brother up. And, and, and it's great to know that, man, I got a brother beside me that's doing the same thing that I'm doing. So, uh, uh, and, I, and I'll leave with this. I'll finish with this. And, I, and to me, this was, uh, we had a chaplain in uh, Tennessee. He came, like my last two years in Tennessee, and, and I'll never forget. And our locker room was going through like some little up and down changes, new coaches, ownerships taking over, and they brought in this big, I call him, a, he's like an uncle, like a big heavy set guy. If you're, if you're in the other room, you can hear his loud laugh, <laughs> just like, oh, who is that? So I walk in the cafeteria, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the guy we need to be our chaplain. Week later, he gets hired to be our chaplain. And so we went from having me, Marcus, as in our quarterback, and all the specialists, and a couple of defensive guys in there. So we probably had like 10 guys in there worshiping together. That's a lot. That's a lot if you ask, like we've never seen it. And I had some great teammates from Brian Dawkins to, to uh, Tim Tebow, great guys in, in, in the locker room. This man came in and transformed our locker room and he would name it Soul Food. That was our, our, our weekly Bible study with all the fellas. It went from 10 to 20 people. He called me like three weeks ago and told me, Yo, you're not going to believe about Soul Food. We got half the team in here to the point where we had to move to the offensive uh, meeting room. Offensive meeting rooms is is luxurious. It's almost like de- defense is almost like going into somewhere like a, a, a Home Depot. The offense room is like going into freaking Louis Vuitton. You got, oh, you guys are giving out specialty waters with a little fizz in there. Nice. I like this. I like this. So, so he would always say, he would always say this, man. And it's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. And it's just like, man, like so many times it's easy for us to take the, the, the easy route. Be a man that is not responsible, not loyal to his wife, his kids. Be that man that is being distracted. Be that man that is not accountable. And one of the greatest things for me in my career, I, I'm going to go back again. I had an accountability partner. And in the locker room, in the NFL locker room, there's so many different conversations. It's, it's, you walk by, you're like, oh, nope, get away from that conversation. Hell, nope, I won't be over there. I already know what you're talking about, but not standing over there. So I challenged one of my teammates, Derek Morgan. He used to sit right next to me. And um, it's weird because they changed the locker rooms uh, once when I was in Tennessee. 
and my first locker was with the DBs. DBs, the defensive backs, these guys are wild. These guys are crazy. They are always on different stuff. I'm like, man, I got to get away from here. Like, this, move me down there to the linebacker. So I sit next to D. Mork, and there's this video on TV. I used to annoy the crap out of D. Mork just because I could, just because I knew he wasn't going to beat me up or anything. It just, just annoy him. So I used to always annoy him. So anyway, they rearranged the locker room, and just so happened, they put my locker and his locker right next to each other. Now, D. Morg is an outside linebacker, and I'm an inside linebacker. We don't necessarily, we aren't necessarily like the best of friends on the team because outside compete with the other outside linebacker, and they're always bookends, what they call them. So I'm like, Morg, I need an accountability partner. Like, I need somebody that's going to hold me accountable. You know, I'm, I'm new to a family. You're new starting off to a family. And I think that's why it's important for you to surround yourself with like-minded individuals who want to go to the same places that you want to go to. You can't continue to be with the riffraff. You can mentor them. You can help mold them. But you can't hang out with them. My wife used to be like, listen, there are no more Thursday night dinners. You're going to come on to the family and be with us. So I'm like, uh, I got to get an accountability partner. So i never forget more would always be like, eh, what, you, what you got on your phone? What you reading? What you doing? I'm like, uh, nothing. I'm just, uh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> so I'll never forget. I was sitting at my locker, strolling down Instagram, the devil. Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, got to unfollow people. That's, that's a daily cleanser. You got to must unfollow certain people. So I'm scrolling down, and I get to this page that I like. And all of a sudden, I'm not even there, not even five seconds. All of a sudden, I see a hand come by, slap my phone out, and I'm like, your, your immediate reaction is, if you're down looking at your phone, somebody slap your hand, you want to fight. I look up, I'm like, you know what, Derek, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right, and I should not be doing that. So, man, I challenge, your, challenge you guys to find yourself an accountability partner because it's hard out here in this world by yourself, and we need each other to hold each other accountable. Again, like I said uh, at the conference, the balance of the earth is going to be heavenly led by men. If we continue to shake these pillars of this satanic driven world and not be conformed by the images and the likeness and everything else that goes on in this world, we can change it for the better. And for us, it starts with us. So when we go, how many ever it is, looks like it's about 50, 60 men in here, maybe a little bit more. When you leave that first test, how are you going to answer it? How are you going to, when you back out of that parking lot, somebody blows their horn at you, are you going to throw up that wrong finger or are you going to throw up two fingers? <laughs> Peace. <laughs> I appreciate that. I thank you for that test, Lord. Thank you for that test. Hold up that four quarters because we're in the four quarter. So I, I enjoy, and, and I, I enjoy my time and, uh, and, and I would love to give you guys an opportunity to ask a few questions. Uh, I know I was always one, like if an NFL player came around me, I'm asking everything and anything. So I would like to open it up for questions if, if anybody have questions. Wesley, what are you doing next? Oh, uh, funny you said, you asked that, David. David loves to set stuff up the right way. So, <laughs> so I just recently accepted a position within the NFL PA. I'm now a player director. And what that means is I'm in charge of taking information from my players back to the union, back to the union, to the players. But more importantly, I get a chance to help mentor and mold the next generation of NFL athletes. And to me, it was, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
it was it was it was an area of 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 concern for a lot of players. Like there's not been a positive mentor in that that space that we had to deal with. A lot of guys that were in there only wanted to talk about CBA things. So I get the pleasure and, and it's an honor to me to help transform those guys' life to do better things. Thanks for that question. <laughs> you know what? I never actually had to tackle D-Hen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> After watching him last year, sitting on my couch with my wife, I was like, you know what, babe? We can just enjoy this right here. Did you see what he did to that man? He just threw him into the bleachers. So, <laughs> no, nah, but, but they wouldn't let us tackle Derek. We used to always tell D-Hen, like, I go through your chest, bro. I go through your... I, I'm, I come from the old school. I'm a little guy, so I have to be the aggressor first. So I'm going to go and hit... I would tear Dehan up if I had the opportunity to. <laughs> but Dehan is a great guy, man. My first time trying to trying to make the, the tag off tackle, he, he he took off on me, and that's how I knew he was fast. But Dehan, man, good guy. He's a Christian, love loves God, a new family man. So he's a good man, a good man to be around. More questions? How about over here on this side? Oh, don't be afraid, young man. What about you? Ooh. Uh, when did I start speaking? I probably started like really focusing on it maybe like four years ago. I went to like broadcast boot camp. Uh, there's a program that the NFL puts on for the players and kind of helps you with being on the camera, giving speeches. I'm still rusty. I'm still a little, still got to get better. But uh, I enjoy it, man. Thanks for that question. As a Christian dad, husband, American, what do you think about what's happening in the NFL now versus like when you started? Mm -hmm. Where do you see it going and what do you think about in general? Uh, it's tricky. I mean, most people say that this generation are come from the generation of, of the bulldozer generation. If, if you guys know what that means, I'll explain it anyway. So imagine a bulldozer pushing everything out of the way. This generation of kids are walking, uh -oh, are walking behind that bulldozer, not even knowing that that bulldozer is there, clearing the way for them. So they're just walking, no distractions, no anything. So it's going to be a test. But I think, I think it'll, be, it'll be all right, because with the, the, the way that they're going to start paying college athletes, I think they're going to be more responsible. And I think that's where this generation is a little bit better than my generation. They at least understand the power that they have in their voice and in their, their movement together as, as one collective unit. So again, like I said, man, I'm in this role, my new role, to help make sure those guys go in the right way. So it's going to be great. They're going to do great. <laughs> Young man. Nope, nope, no question. I thought you, okay. <laughs> I've had the privilege of meeting your wife and your kids. Tell us a little about your family. Okay. Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm a little bit crazy. They always say, if you play football, you got to be crazy, and you're even crazier if you have four kids. So, <laughs> so uh, me and my wife, we've been married for eight years. We met in Miami. Uh, that's a crazy story, too. I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be, and it's, it's crazy because I grew up, I used to always pray at night, like, God, please help me find a God-fearing woman, a God-fearing wife. Don't know why I prayed that prayer for my whole life growing up. And I was in a, in, a, in a certain 
football, football player, being a football player, surrounded by a bunch of stuff you shouldn't be surrounded by. And immediately God comes in and is like, eh, remove yourself from here, go over here. So I met my wife at this, at, at this hotel in Miami because we got kicked off of this yacht party uh, with a couple other players. <laughs> Good thing I got kicked off of there. So we've been married for eight years. We have four beautiful kids, Grayson, my son, he's seven. He's an outstanding soccer player, baseball, and mathematician. Uh, my daughter, Noah, she's my twin, and it's, uh, I was going to write my notes on something better and be clear, but she put some little hearts on here, and I was like, uh, <laughs> it, it, it like touched me, so I'm like, dang, I got to keep it on there. So she's like my little twin. She, we call her my snack queen. She loves to snack on stuff. Uh, Luca. She, she's the, the trying one of the family. She's the, the middle child, lover to death. She's like a, a split image of my son, Grayson. So I have seven, four, three, and two. My youngest is Lane. She's the boss. We call her baby boss. She runs everything in the household. So uh, it's, a, it's a good dynamic, man. I have one boy, three girls. It's fun. It's never a dull moment at the Woodyard's house. And they challenge me every day to be a better father. And like Andy said, when they see me, I still get that warm embrace of, of coming in the house that dad is here, and it just it melts my heart. And I'm like, dang, y'all just saw me this morning, but I love it. I love it. I welcome it. Bring it here. So thank you, Andy. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Wesley. Mm -hmm. yeah, you're welcome.